My name is Jamie Atkinson, founder of podcastclosing.com, and this show is built for six and seven figure entrepreneurs with podcasts who are looking to grow and scale their customer acquisition using that show. If you're a six or a seven figure entrepreneur with a podcast and you want to get featured on this show to talk about your own podcast journey, go to top100interview.com. Now over to your glamorous host, Brittany Chaterbock, and don't forget to subscribe for daily interview content. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. It's Britt here today. Today I'm bringing on a very exciting guest. The guest I'm bringing on, Tony Whatley. He is a high-performance coach for executives and entrepreneurs. He's the host of 365 Driven Podcasts. Uh, with tw- over 20 years of a serial entrepreneurship background, he's a best-selling author and speaker. So Tony has a purpose to help people gain knowledge and courage to take action. He strives to help others become the best version of themselves. So guys, welcome to the show, Tony. Thanks so much for coming on today, Tony. How's it going? Hey, Brittany, thank you for the opportunity. I'm looking forward to connecting with you and learning a little bit more about the show and your listeners, and I can't wait to help. I'm so excited for today, you know, and we're going to have some great talk topics. You know, we're going to talk about um, startup scale. Um, Maybe we can even chat about exiting companies, that sort of thing. So really exciting topics today, Tony. Um, But before we really dive into them, are you open to going ahead? And I know I I gave you quite a brief introduction and I'm sure there's so much in between now. Do you mind going ahead and just filling in those gaps and telling us a bit about your journey as to how you got to where you are today? Yeah, I'd say that I grew up lower middle class here in a suburb of Houston, small town, and my parents didn't really have much. My dad was a military vet, Vietnam vet in the the Marines, and my mom's a Japanese immigrant that worked in the public school systems as a cafeteria lady her entire career. And so I learned the value of hard work and putting myself through college. It took me about seven years. I was working as a welder, a pipe fitter, and waiting tables. And finally, I got my engineering degree, and I decided to go into corporate, but Oil and gas, although it was a very highly lucrative career, my passion has always been cars and building and racing cars. So that drove me to look for creative outlets outside of my career and start building companies that were more focused in the automotive performance space. And I created one of the largest General Motors performance communities on the internet. It still exists today. A private equity company bought us in 2007, but that's ls1tech.com. And it had over 300,000 registered members. And I took that same business model and the same advertising relationships that I had with 150 different marketing accounts. And we created performancetrucks.net, which that one grew to about 280,000 registered members. And both those became seven-figure businesses that I sold to the private equity company in 2007 for a few million. Incredible. Wow. Wow. This this is great. So this is always why I ask the guests to go ahead and and fill in those gaps because there's so much, right? And um, wow, incredible. So based on where you are today in your business, um, what were some of the biggest challenges while getting to this place? It was a lot harder back then because this started out in 2001. So that was pre-social. There wasn't really YouTube and Google, things like that. We could find information easily like we can today. So we really had to grow things organically by building actual relationships. And at that time, it was getting on the phone or finding their email address, if you could, from a magazine ad and reaching out to potential advertisers or sponsors of the events and basically also going to the industry conventions and things like that and making a name with a face. 
and start building mm-hmm. relationship capital. And that's very important. I think it's also equally important today. And it's actually kind of a long forgotten skill to go out there and network and actually meet people in your industry mm-hmm. because that builds really long-term relationships. And when it comes time for them to maybe think about canceling their marketing or their business with you, they're likely going to cancel the people that aren't really in their relationship or their network that they you know, don't really understand who they are versus someone that they built a relationship with. So that's a good tip there for retention. And, you know, back then we were running magazines ads once in a while doing live racing events and also going to where the, the hot spots in the country were for these types of audiences. We're building community and we realized that Los Angeles and Houston and Detroit and New Jersey, New York area, they had the, the very high concentration of people that were in our membership community So we would actually go have events in their centrals. So they didn't have to come very far to come off of their keyboards, come out and meet each other, build some lifelong relationships. And then when they go, when the race is over, when the car show is over, they would all go back to the keyboards and hang out back on our website. So it's always about trying to facilitate strong bonds and growing the community from the, the, the user level. Right, right. No, I I hear you. And relationship capital is so important. And like you said, like it's, it was probably a lot harder then, but honestly, it might have been better back then the way we did things. And now everything, and I love that everything is, you know, online and we're able to reach masses globally, you know, through podcasting or social media of some sort. However, it's always nice to be in person, making that relationship on a personal level as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's very undervalued. Everybody kind of grew up nowadays with Gen Z. They kind of grew up with the screens in their face. Oh, I don't like kind it. Kind of lost some of the social aspect. And, you know, when, when I was young, you basically, if you wanted to go hang out with people, you had to go somewhere. You couldn't just do it at, from your house. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So Tony, tell us, tell us a little bit about um, how you deliver your services today within your business. And and maybe we can talk about some of your offers as well. Well, the, it it originally started out, it's like, I'll I'll tell you that when I served, when I sold my first company, I was 34, I'm 50 now. And I think that a lot of times people look at maybe financial success as the indicator that they should go out and teach people. But I disagree with that, having the wisdom and experience to that, because even though I became a multimillionaire at age 34, I wouldn't have hired myself at that age to be a mentor or a coach. Because although I know the operational processes and things like that, I also lacked a lot of self-awareness and maybe I had a lot more confidence about things that I should have had more risk factor, risk mitigations embedded in. So as we age, we start to look back even on any decade of our lives and we start to realize like, man, when I was 40, I thought I knew a lot of things. And now that I'm 50, I realize I didn't know a whole lot at 40. So you've got to be patient. You're going to have results and wisdom and understand your best practices. And you're also going to understand that even when your intentions are good, you're going to come across people that have ill intentions. And that may take you aback a little bit because you're realizing, well, that's never happened to me before. But over time, you'll start to see that you become more hyper aware of other people, how to read people, how to react to those kind of situations. And that's very important when you're in leadership and trying to build a company. That's why coaching and mentoring is so important. It's really about mistake avoidance. That's why people hire coaches. They just want a mistake avoidance. We're trying to teach you the lessons that we've learned that cost us time or hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars in lessons. And so I didn't actively coach in public 
until the, really the last five years. But leading up to that, I mentored some of the people in my proximity, my network, former employees. We built some seven, eight, and nine-figure businesses with them privately. And they just had access to me because they knew me. And I realized that this is repeatable and that in 2015, I had a near-death experience racing cars. And I realized that my purpose isn't really being served if I'm just keeping my information to myself and the people around me. So that's when I started to become more public about things and trying to figure out what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. And that's when the public coaching started to roll around 2017 when I wrote the book. Podcast came out in 2018. And so now I've got the processes and systems for a coaching business model. That's something I had to learn. I understood business, but every business in every industry has its own model and some of them work better than others. Absolutely. That's huge that, you know, you came to the realization that, you know, if anything does happen, I want to, you know, leave this planet knowing that I did deliver a message and change, help people change their lives. Right. So that's incredible. Now, how, how young were you um, when you did get your first coach or mentor? And when would you suggest is the right time to get one for any entrepreneur? I know the sooner the better, but (laughs) from your experience. It all comes down to cost. I mean, most people don't want to make it a financial decision, but that's the reality of what it is. And so when you don't have money, you better have a lot of time because if you don't have a lot of time or money, you're not going to really get farther ahead. So if you got plenty of time, especially nowadays, you can go on YouTube and learn a lot of different technical things and processes. You can read books. You can listen to these podcasts that we both put out and you're going to have a lot more access to information, which was not readily available even 10 years ago. Think about that. I mean, social media really kicked off in 2008 to 2010, as we know it, Facebook and Instagram, right? And so prior to that, you had to pay a lot of money for education and and information. That's why even though I have a college degree nowadays, I think that most college degrees, especially in business, are a complete waste of money. Because Mm -hmm. 20 years ago, that business model was viable because they didn't have access to information. So you had to pay for information. But now information is largely free. So why are we still paying actually higher amounts of that to get the same education from people who likely haven't even run or managed a business? Let's be honest, right? Yeah. And so now that we have information readily available, you got to go find help people to help you implement these things because it's like very overwhelming to look at all the things you have to learn, especially as a solopreneur or a side hustle type person, because you got to understand marketing and copywriting and business structures and taxes and accounting and customer retention and customer service and salesmanship. Like all these things are very important, but you also have to think about what is the right order of those things. And am I studying too much or going too far down this road for the size of my business right now? So that's where a mentor will really help you think about what is the correct sequence. Don't worry about that stuff until later on. Like we'll get to that, but here's what we need to get started. Cause the important thing is just always getting started because the best entrepreneurs always learn as they go. They don't read and read and read and consume all this stuff and then, then try to implement it. They, they, get, they learn enough, they get started to go create the LLC or create the way to get paid Stripe account or PayPal account, something, some merchant go create the business bank account, do all these little things that just get you started and you're going to learn as you go. And even at the biggest companies, the best entrepreneurs have always learned as they've gone. Right. Trial and error, right? Yes. So hire the mentor that you can afford right now and understand that it is an investment. 
It is an investment. And if you can only afford a 997 course that's going to teach you a very specific skill set for what you need to know at this time, good. But don't waste money on that other course that you're not even applying that it's not even going to be useful to you until maybe a year or two, three years down the road. So right. it sounds like a great idea, but go really focus on what you need to have today. Day by day. I love that. Thank you so much, Tony, for sharing. Now, let's talk a little bit about scaling. Now, I let's start off with you and scaling your businesses and now how you will apply it to teaching others to do the same. Yeah, I think that this is a very buzzy word, scaling, and that's probably why I stuck it on the, the fill-in roster for you. It's too many people want to scale because they believe that scaling just means making more money. So whatever size of your company or your startup or your side hustle is right now, you think, I need to scale my business because I want to make more money. But that's not what scaling is. Scaling is a requirement. So if you're starting out with a small business, there's always going to be some level of inefficiency in your process. You're going to hit that roadblock or the speed bump or something that's just slowing you down. And you're like, man, this is, I could actually make so much more money if this roadblock was out of my way. And that's true. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't necessarily mean you're scaling. It just means I'm going to go fix that challenge right now. And then what happens is something else becomes the roadblock or the bottleneck. And then you go fix that thing and you kind of just work your way through the system until it's basically flowing right. But when it is really time to scale is when you're turning away business. We see most people think that they go fix all these little things and then they're going to make all this money. But if you're not turning away business because you literally cannot fit it through the process, you don't have time to scale right now. You're still in operations growth mode. You're still trying to refine the process just to be able to handle the amount of traffic or leads that you currently have. Now, right. when all that is optimized and your leads match your process, that's actually a pretty good, efficient business because you don't have too many employees. You don't have too many assets that are causing you overhead. Like hopefully you're making good profit as you scale. And so when you start to grow where people are coming with more leads, more purchases, more service requests, and you can't keep up anymore, not because of inefficiency, just because you don't have enough people, you don't have enough assets or equipment or things that can reproduce the same outcome, that's when it's time Amazing. to scale. Yeah, that's when it's time to scale. And unfortunately, a lot of times people think that scaling and, and this, I call it marketing and revenue speak, because there's a lot of gurus and marketers out there that talk about revenue, which is the top line sales. Like, oh, we, we're a seven figure this, we're an eight figure that, we're a nine figure. Guys, I have conversations with seven figure business owners all the time. Some of them lose seven figures per year. They may mm -hmm. be selling $8 million, but what if they lose a million dollars a year? They're not even making a profit. So push yeah, aside that, that ego. And, you know, we see it on Instagram. We see it on TikTok. Like, oh, so-and-so is a $10 million business owner. So I'm going to give them all my attention and you know, they're going to teach me everything. Well, what good is that if that $10 million business owner is profiting $100,000 a year? That's, that's pretty lame and it's very common. So right. try to avoid ego and thinking that you're going to validate your level of entrepreneurship with a top line sales figure. Because personally, I'd rather take less revenue, less sales and make higher profit margins and then I'm making actually more money with doing less work and having less overhead and less headaches. So always the profit matters. And when you're going to scale a business properly, you want to make sure that your profit is scaling accordingly. It's stupid to go from 
a $7 million revenue company to a $12 million revenue company and not make any more profit. And it happens a lot. So all the time, it's a whole lot easier. Yeah. It's a whole lot easier to manage a $7 million company. If that's, you're still making the same profit. So when we scale with processes, systems, and people, we want to make sure that our profit is growing at the same level as our revenue. Absolutely agree. Grow your profit and revenue. Mm -hmm. So Tony, tell us a bit about, you know, if, if you're open to talking about process and systems and, you know, the, the importance of them. Do you mind diving into that? I know you just touched on it. And I think that you have probably a lot of value to add behind that if you're open to it. Yeah. Processes and systems. It sounds very complex and it's not as complex as it sounds. The thing is, is that most of these small business owners don't even have an organizational chart. I'll talk to them and I'll say, let me see your org chart. And they're like, what is that? It's like, well, you're the CEO or the founder. So yeah, you're at the top. Who's your vice president or operations manager or marketing manager? Like, I want to see the structure, the skeleton of your company. And your employees want to see that too, because they need to understand where they're at, where they fit into that organizational chart. And also what their potential trajectory or their career path is if they keep doing a good job and they invest in themselves to become the next level. So it's very important. And high-performing employees definitely want to see that structure. So don't think like, oh, well, we're all just family here and we'd all just get along and we don't need an org chart because Billy over there is the manager of that. And, and, and Susan, she's like the lead of this. Like if you're not designating them with an actual spot on an org chart and an actual title, then they're probably going to get bored of working there for some reason and go somewhere that's more organized. So that's a, that's a start, right? Right. Once you have all the roles created, go ahead and expand that to what you think it's going to be in three to five years. If we're talking about scaling, if I go, hey, right now we're doing a million in sales with four people. If I want to get to two million in sales, realistically, maybe I need double the people. Maybe not. There's a lot of overlap that can be done in accounting and support roles. But for operations, let's say we've got to double our operations to be able to double the, the total output. And so- Create that org chart that shows those empty desks and those empty roles, even though that they don't have people there, but they have assignments there. That way you can start to visualize how this company is going to grow. And once all these roles are defined and put on there, start to create really specific roles and responsibilities for every one of your employees. Mm -hmm. What are their requirements? How are they being measured? How are they expected to perform? What level of quality do we, ex do we expect from them from each time? So that again, a good employee, the best employees still like to see their actual roles and responsibilities and how those are clearly defined. Now, if you think about all these roles that don't exist yet, you can still define those. And it's usually just the manager that's at the top of each of those that's going to have to cover all of those roles until there's a person that could be fit. Right. But this is how you grow. Because if that manager at some point down the line becomes very overburdened or stressed out because there's too many things to do. Well, then you have all these roles and responsibilities underneath them. That's already predefined that you can say, which one of these people should we hire to help you out? And that manager will be like, well, you know, I don't really like doing the marketing stuff anymore. So we need to hire that person. So all that stuff can come off my plate. Boom. You have the job description that you can go put out there. You know where they fit in. They know exactly what they need to be working on. And then the manager gets to have some of that time back to focus on managerial duty. So that's the organizational things of it. So now when I get into processes, processes are basically what does each employee do on a daily basis? What is a routine thing? And these are good for training people. They're also good for when people have questions about, hey, if this thing happens, like, what do I do? Like, 
well, here's your process book. Here's the things that you do. And it'll tell you, go here, see this website, call this person, like whatever the actual process steps are. And it sounds really simple. And it is because they should be written at a level that an eighth grader can understand them. They really should be written that simple. And if you write a process and it's too complex, maybe there's several processes in that one big process that need to be broken down so that each of those can be written at an eighth grade level. So you can tell an eighth grader like, okay, here you go. Here's the website. Here's where you click on here. And here's what you type in this box here. And this is why we do this. And boom, now you have all your processes. So this increases the valuation of your company as well. So when you go think about selling or exiting your company later on, years down the road, the more processes and systems you have already identified, the more interesting it'll be to a potential buyer. Absolutely. You mentioned something earlier as to, you know, once you have the right processes and systems in place, you know, the CEO can kind of back off a bit if they choose to and take some of that stuff off their plate. Now, this way they're able to focus on, you know, really the CEO roles and the management roles instead of so much in the business, they can kind of work on the business. How, was there a time that you ever felt like maybe before you started to outsource, um, was it challenging letting all, because I know for some entrepreneurs that I talk to, they find it challenging to release, you know, all those roles that they just want to do themselves. So they know they're, it's getting done properly and this mad and, you know, they might feel like it's easier to do it themselves than hire and, you know, duplicate (laughs) the position. But tell me how you feel about that. Or maybe right before you decided to go ahead and do that throughout your life, this is where throughout your business. Yeah, that's a that's a great question, and it's very common. And I've never personally experienced that overwhelm and that stress from having to manage businesses and grow businesses, only because I've benefited from my corporate background. I used to work in oil and gas. That is actually the highest processed and systemed and risk mitigation industry. If you can think about all the regulatory things, all the international yeah. things, all the safety things, we have safety limits with three layers deep of safety mitigation type risk mitigations. And so I came from a background in project management and oil and gas that I was very averse in systems and processes and roles and responsibilities and who does what and when. And so I was able to use that background and bring it down into small business, which is a lot less complex and a lot less risky. So personally, I didn't struggle with that, but I see why other people do. And the main thing is people think about, well, Nobody can do it as good as me. And you know, if you want something done right, you got to do it yourself. Like all these cliche, cliche phrases in it. It's really a scarcity mindset is what that is. You have to identify if you're saying those things, you learn that from somebody else that has a scarcity mindset themselves. And you're just repeating things like a parrot because you think it's true. So here's how you think about that. Let's look at administrative stuff like secretarial, taking notes, doing some simple stuff that a minimum wage person could likely do. If you could pay someone 15, 20 bucks an hour, they could probably do a lot of the stuff that you're doing right now. And so you're thinking, well, I don't want to spend 15 or a VA. You can have VAs in the Philippines or $5 an hour, stuff like that, right? These people are highly educated. They're actually really capable. And so when you think about the things that you're wasting hours a day on, the best way to think about is, okay, what does my daily base look like? What is my calendar? What is my timeline? Like how much, how much am I working per day on this business and really track all your hours. And then when you do that for a week, look back and go, well, how many hours did I waste on doing administrative, low level, minimum wage type tasks? 
And you may come up with, okay, it's only five hours. Well, that's five hours. You could pay a VA in Philippines, you know, for 25 bucks, like that's five hours of your time back. Maybe you're mm-hmm. wasting a lot of time. Maybe your half your week is on this stuff that you could pay someone minimum wage. Do the math calculation of what that would cost you. Think about how much more productive you could be if you had that time back, being able to focus on serving clients or doing lead gen or creating marketing or things that actually create more income for the company. And so if you're still doing that stuff, you may not even enjoy doing it because it's just like this chore, right? Right. So I want you to think of yourself as the highest paid because you're a CEO, you're the highest paid administrative assistant that doesn't really like their job. That's the way you should be thinking about those tasks. I love that you you put it in that perspective because it's so true. Why not hire a VA or hire someone else to do a couple of things for you? We can start with that and then, you know, take that off your plate and you can really put that time and focus into the CEO role, uh, you know, and then, oh my gosh, I just love the way you put it into that perspective. That's huge. So, Okay. I know our episodes are really short, so I'm just going to ask you a couple more questions and I think I'm going to lean into the podcast. So okay. let's talk about your podcast. I know you mentioned that you started, I think in 2018, is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Late yeah 2018. So I love it. So what were the intentions behind it and where is it at today? So my intentions for the podcast was just to really create some opportunities to have interesting conversations with people. And that's why I really kept the topic kind of broad. Although we do focus mostly on entrepreneurship, it's also about personal development. And I wanted to bring in amazing guests that are doing some cool things in the world. And, you know, anybody that's in the personal development space or entrepreneurship space, you probably would recognize a lot of the names that I've interviewed on the show. And so the best thing about entrepreneurship and personal development is that this is really a school for us as a podcast host, as also a consumer, as a listener, because you're learning things, your listeners are learning things. And so we're all learning things together. And that's the best thing to think about that. It's really not things worrying about trying to make money and trying to be super famous and all these things. Those are just byproducts. Those will be a result potentially if you do things for, for a long time and you're creating that constant value. But my intentions were never to make money from the podcast, even though we're just about to hit 300 episodes, we're about to be year five. And The thing is, is that it creates indirect money. And the way I think about relevance and authority and building influence is a lot of things we do are basically a tiebreaker. And here's where I'm going to go with this. Like you talked about coaching. Let's say that someone out there is looking for a business coach and they're going to get referrals. They're going to ask their friends, like, who do you know? Who this, like, what are they going to get tagged in posts? And Mm -hmm. so if you're a smart consumer, you'll go do your due diligence and do some background searching or stalking on Facebook or Google, see what people are saying. Just, you're going to go see the lay of the land, right? And if they land on my page or some other coach's page and they've got it down to the last two, they're going to compare who's more relevant, who's actually been more productive, who's staying on top of social media where I can actually get to know their personality, their engagement style, how they communicate. Right. And so if you're out there and you're actually making a personal brand for yourself, it's the tiebreaker. So you may not be making money directly from podcasting and things like that, but indirectly it could result in millions of dollars. A hundred percent. Yes. And the great thing about podcasting is like we kind of talked about earlier, it's globally now. So you're not just, you know, in your own community, you have no idea who's listening to it. Who's like 
binge watching it and come, it might come to you later saying, you know, I know I like, I trust you. I've been binge watching your episodes. I need your help, you know, and it's like a snowball effect, really referrals and stuff like that. So love the pod. So I was going to ask you, you know, what are all the ways that you generate income from your podcast? If you're open to sharing besides, you know, doing your research and finding the right guests and, you know, having these referrals and stuff, are there any other ways? Yeah, actually I have six different things on my website that kind of show the actual path. Right. And so there's free content, obviously it's the podcast. It's the videos, it's the social media, that's free content. People are great mm-hmm. to consume those things. You can piece things together and learn a lot of different things. The next would be like Facebook groups. We have a paid group and we have a free group. The free one's about 4,000 people and the paid mm-hmm. one, I think is about 270 people right now. And that's a dollar a day type scenario. It's really low, high end, big end of the funnel. And so the other thing would be the book that I wrote. It sold 7,000 copies. That's a $14 entry point. You know, it's, it's just basically a low dollar entry point that has a lot of value. It's called Side Hustle Millionaire, if you're curious about that. And so you, you build the large offerings and then you start to get into the mid-tier offerings, which would be the mastermind coaching type programs, which I usually do those for a 12-month period. Those are six to eight people per group. And I lead those things and we meet every other week for about two hours. And we kind of go through what their biggest challenges are in personal and business life. And so those process around 15,000 a person is to give you price points. The one-on-one private coaching, those different programs based on where you need for your company, if we need weekly meetings or bi-weekly meetings or things like that. So basically become like kind of a board of advisor for your company and we grow those things and pricing between those are between 20,000 a year to 40,000 a year. So it's just how we fit it into your business model. And so that's kind of the structure for the coaching business models of programs. And those things are always going to change as we're demand increases, prices increase. That's just a way to manage exactly. the, the workflow. So don't be afraid of raising your prices. If you feel like you're out there coaching people and you're stressed out because you've got 20 client calls a week, like that's a lot of, that's a lot of calls. That means you're probably doing some good value things out there. Don't be afraid to raise your price. And one of my earliest mentors in coaching said, get three clients at your current price and then raise your price 25%. And you'll say no to a few more people that want to work with you. But eventually those next slots that open will be filled with people that will say yes. Because what I've learned with coaching and rates and things like, yes, you got to deliver value. Yes, you have to make sure that you're giving them what they need. But pricing is relative to somebody else. When they hear 40,000 a year, they may be like, oh man, that's, that's so expensive. I can't afford it. But from a mid-level company, they may be like, well, that's like a really cheap employee. Like it's like, that's 40,000. Right. Like that's an administrative person. And this guy's going to help me make millions of dollars. And then somebody else would be like, Hey, can I just wire the money tomorrow? So it's always relative. And the pricing that most coaches or service people get stuck in their head is that you don't need to be a commodity. You're not selling plumbing. You're not selling things that people can just Google and have anybody out and come out and do. If you build your personal brand and your knowledge and your results big enough, you're going to be the one that they want to work with. And not everybody can afford you. And that's okay because there are people that can. Thank you for sharing that. That is a really good topic. Um, and you you totally brought it up and it was something I was going to bring up before we jumped off. But, you know, I wanted to see your thoughts on high ticket offers and, you know, the importance of them. Now, I, I agree with everything you say. Like it's it's important to really niche down and, and increase your price. 
you know, and I, I don't know if you feel the same way, but I, I find a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, are a little bit scared. Maybe they have some limiting beliefs about increasing that price. Like you said, that maybe they won't get as many leads or this, whatever it might be. Anyways, I find when you do increase the price and you do niche down, get very clear on who, who you're working with, who's your dream client or customer, you're going to be attracting the right fit avatar for say, yes. and they're going to be able to afford your ticket. They're going to see the value in your ticket. And you're actually just going to save yourself a, a whole lot of headache <laughs> by yeah. increasing and niching down. Um, I don't know if you feel the same way, but it sounds yeah, like it. You nailed it. But yeah, and the important, I mean, it sounds, this sounds very easy to those of us that have been doing it a while at a high level. And if you're just getting started, this won't apply till maybe a year or two down the road. Okay. Yeah. So it's very important if this is what you really want to do to get traction. And here's the thing that most people are unwilling to do, which I think is a missed opportunity. They're not willing to work for free to do something that they enjoy. And so when I decided I wanted to go get more confidence and refine my processes with coaching clients, I took on 12 clients for free, but the payment that I've already told them at the beginning was I want to make sure I get a good testimonial from you and that you're willing to, you know, take on referrals that if I send people go, Hey, these are people I work with. That's all I'm going to ask. Mm -hmm. And so six months, we did a, a program and I helped each of these people start their first business and every one of them was successful at it. Every one of them did it. And so I didn't charge anything for that. I had time. Like we talked about earlier, time, money, I had plenty of money. The time was what I was looking at. I was like, okay, I can contribute to that. Something I enjoy doing anyways. And so that 12 person testimonial package that I did for free and got actual results that people can demonstrate that's the value that most people are unwilling to work for. That's the traction that you need because after that 12 or the 10 or the five, whatever you decide that fits your business model, then you'll start to get them paying ones. And sometimes you do have to say yes to build money. You have to build that revenue. It's a, it's a hard thing. And, but just keep raising your prices as you start to create more revenue, more results for people. Right. Right. Amazing. Tony, this has been absolutely incredible. My goodness, the value that you brought onto my show, exactly what I'm looking for. So I truly, truly, from the bottom of my heart, appreciate you coming on, taking the time out of your day on holiday. I, I like, <laughs> I forgot it was a holiday today and I am, you know, I have a couple other meetings and I'm like, wow, you know what? These people are driven and they want to get a message out there. And that's what I love to see. So Tony, thank you so much. Uh, if anyone's looking to connect with you from my audience and, you know, maybe they want to reach out, maybe they want to work with you, what would be the best way to go ahead and connect? Yeah, my website is 365driven.com and everything that I do is on my website or live events. We got one coming up in Portugal in July. And so we do a That's lot so of just awesome destination events. And that's a uh, if you're reaching out for questions, I would say Instagram is probably the easiest. That's at 365driven. Incredible. Thank you so much, Tony, for today. This has been great. Thank you. Group, if you're listening and enjoyed, please like and subscribe. If you're a six-figure, seven-figure, eight-figure entrepreneur and want to come on, just like Tony... Whatley did today, please go to top100interview.com. I'd love to have you on as well. Hey, you guys go check out 365 Driven. Tony knows what he's talking about. He has done incredible things out there and I'm sure he can be a lot of help. Thanks so much, everybody. See you on the next one. 
Hey everyone, I hope you really enjoyed that episode. As always, if you want to listen to more daily interview content, make sure you subscribe. And here's three ways I can help you in your business for free. One, check out my video on how we're building a pipeline that produces 30 plus prime sales calls every single week using podcast setters and a basic interview funnel. And this is actually how I was able to quit social media forever. You can go to podcastrebels.com forward slash setters. Two, if you're a six or a seven figure entrepreneur with a podcast, we actually want to interview you on one of our top 100 shows. Head to top100interview.com and then three, download our podcast closing formula. It shows you how to create a podcast sales team that books out your sales calendar each week using the podcast closing client attraction method. And you can go to podcastrebels.com forward slash podcast formula. Now at podcastclosing.com, we help six and seven figure entrepreneurs with podcasts create a system for predictable client acquisition without relying on paid advertising or social media by building out podcast sales teams. Now, if you want help turning your podcast into a high-ticket client acquisition machine, then book a call with our team to see how we can help. Go to podcastrebels.com forward slash chat. All right, guys, we'll see you in the next interview.